This is African News Tonight on The Voice of America. Hello and welcome. Welcome to VOA Africa. Thank you for joining us. I'm Yehiyas Wuhib in Washington. Here's what's coming up on African News Tonight. Confusion has now been escalated because there's a team of about six cabinet ministers which is supposed to solve the electricity crisis in South Africa. How are they going to work together? That was South African opposition politician John Steenhausen criticizing the appointment of a ruling ANC politician as the new electricity minister. Details coming up. Also, conservationists welcome a long-touted global treaty to protect the oceans. And close to 400,000 people in Zimbabwe have been left homeless by floods this year. These stories and more on African News Tonight. We start with our top story. Some Nigerian voters are skeptical about voting during the governorship and state assembly elections on Saturday, particularly after delays and other problems during last month's presidential vote. Mike Mbonye reports from Port Harcourt. Nigerians vote on Saturday for state governors and assemblies, but some voters have doubts about going to the polls. Some say the violence and voter intimidation during the presidential and national assembly election on February 25th may keep them home on Saturday. Christy Epo and Juliet Okoria are students. My name is Miss Christy, Miss Christy Epo, a student. Based on what happened on the 25th February, okay, the presidential and national election, um, with a question, I'm not going to vote again. That is what I personally told myself, right, that I'm not going to cast my vote again because I told that the vote, we casting our vote is supposed to be free and fair, according to how it's meant to also understand. But now it isn't, so. My name is Shante of Juliet Okoye, and I'm a student. Based on what happened on the 25th February, you know, I would say that my security is not assured, like it's not secured. So I, I won't be casting my vote again, because my experience so far on that particular day was got me consigned and, you know, it's brother's fear, this sense of fear. So I'm not sure I'm going to be casting my vote again. Two other voters, however, say they will vote on election day and ensure that results are recorded and sent to counting server run by the Independent National Election Commission. Dagogo, a man reciprocal, a businessman, governorship and state assembly election. I will vote. I will go and vote because I won't, because of what happened on the 25th of February, not exercised my civic duty. That's why what happened, some of the things that happened, I believe as a human, that is, is, is the intention of some, some people that want not, people that want us not to go and vote on the 11th. But we'll still show that we'll go out and vote our choice. My name is uh, Prince Nadam Wimpo. I am a businessman. Exactly, I'm going to vote on March 11. The reason is uh, we saw what happened uh, uh, the last time for uh, the presidential election. So we are not going to allow such a thing to repeat itself. We will make sure any polling unit that we are, and I'm telling everybody, any polling unit that you are, they must upload their election results there. Even if they stay to 12 o'clock, all of us will be there. Nigeria has traditionally had low voter turnout. In last month's presidential vote, about 30% of eligible voters cast ballots. Michael Suji 
a legal practitioner in Portacos says one way to encourage voting on Saturday is to ensure that votes are uploaded in the INEX server. He says the computer systems designed to secure voting, known as IREV and BIVAS, need to operate well. Votes after casted at the polling units should be uploaded to the INEC server as enshrined by the law because INEC made it clear during the voter sensitization program that they have uh, come up with an IREF, that's IREF, and the beavers, which we understand their various functions. One is accreditation, one is uploading votes electronically to the server so that both those at the end and those who are voting can see the votes being cast. Tunde Babawale is a professor of African politics at the University of Lagos. He says voters will be involved during the governorship and state assembly election. The level of voter involvement has been directly proportional to the level of performance of government. So if government steps up his game, we are going to have more people getting interested in the political process and fulfilling their civic obligations. This is the reason why I believe that on my level, there would be almost an equal level of voter uh, involvement, voter participation, and not a reduced level. And I also hope that government will put in place enough uh, structures to ensure that, that even when violence want to break out, they could be apprehended and put in check before it breaks out. I make declared Bolatinubu the candidate of the ruling All Progressives Congress, the winner of the presidential election. However, opposition candidates have filed court cases to overturn the vote, saying delays in voting and ballot counting opened the way for error and fraud. This is Mike Mbonye for VOA News in Portacourt. A slap in the face. That's how one opposition party in South Africa describes President Cyril Ramaphosa's cabinet reshuffle last night. The African National Congress, ANC leader, retained several cabinet ministers implicated in corruption and accused of mismanagement and incompetence. Analysts say Ramaphosa's reshuffle will do little to appease citizens as they grow increasingly frustrated by worsening living conditions. Darren Taylor reports. South Africa's new deputy president is veteran ANC official Paul Mashatile, a former anti-apartheid activist from Alexandra Township in Johannesburg. He's described by colleagues as likable and soft-spoken, but also as a ruthless member of the so-called Alex Mafia, a group that awards state contracts to family and friends. Masha Thiele denies allegations of graft. He was one of the few ANC voices to call for the removal of allegedly corrupt former president Jacob Zuma. Political analyst Sandile Swana points out Masha Thiele's elevation means Ramaphosa is now surrounded by ministers from Gauteng province. The region includes the big cities of Johannesburg and Pretoria, where services are collapsing and crime is endemic. We are drawing the top leadership from a province that is failing, a province that has led the electoral failures of the ANC, that has led the underperformance of the South African economy and depressed the SADAC region as an economic unit. 
South Africa's focus, though, was firmly on who Ramaphosa would appoint to lead his new Ministry of Electricity. The country's national power company has been looted and mismanaged to the point where it cannot generate enough electricity. Blackouts lasting 4 to 12 hours a day are now common, costing thousands of jobs, eroding the economy and even causing deaths. Ramaphosa had promised that energy experts would spearhead efforts to end the crisis. Instead, he appointed an ANCI, Sputla Ramakhopa, as Minister of Electricity. Opposition politician John Stiernazen says this will worsen the crisis. I would have brought in somebody from outside of Parliament, not a recycled ANC hack, but somebody with real genuine industry experience in the energy sector, somebody who's had international exposure, somebody who understands the ins and outs of the electricity generation supply industry, and somebody who was free from the corrupt mafia-style networks that have operated around this particular sector within the ANC. Ramakhopa is implicated in awarding irregular contracts when he was mayor of Pretoria. He denies wrongdoing. But Swana recalls Ramakhopa's tenure in Pretoria as characterized by so much failure that the ANC lost the city to a coalition of opposition parties in 2021. The analyst says it's a mystery why Ramaphosa chose Ramakhopa to stop the blackouts. Actually, confusion has now been escalated because there's a team of about six cabinet ministers which is supposed to solve the electricity crisis in South Africa. How are they going to work together and where does Ramakhopa fit into this whole thing? It's additional confusion and many people have warned that this should not be done and it is done now. Citizens were also calling on Ramaphosa to fire Police Minister Berki Trele. He's acknowledged his officers only arrest a fraction of criminals. Stiernazen says crime has gone from bad to worse under Trele, with communities living in fear. Berki Trele is the worst performing police minister in the history of post-democratic South Africa, presiding over a situation where over 80 of our citizens are murdered every single day and gender-based violence is running rampant and yet he has retained his position. Analysts say the president kept Trele because he wins a lot of ANC votes in his home province, KwaZulu-Natal. Swana says South Africans have every right to be disappointed by Ramaphosa's cabinet changes because they aren't changes at all, just a reshuffling of ministers who've repeatedly plunged the country into disaster. For VOA News, I'm Darren Taylor in Johannesburg. Official data shows that record power shortages shrunk South Africa's economy to pre-pandemic levels in the last three months of 2022. The French news agency AFP says national statistics show the economy contracted by 1.3% in the fourth quarter. Economists now expect national growth rate this year of 0.3% down from 2.5% in 2022. Analysts blame lagging growth between October and December to slumps in exports, mining and agriculture linked to the failure of the government's power agency, ESCOM, to provide sufficient energy. 
Corruption and mismanagement are alleged to be behind ESCOM's failure to maintain its power plants. President Cyril Ramaphosa has declared a national state of disaster and appointed a special minister of electricity. Conservationists welcomed an agreement over the weekend, March 4th, on a long-touted global treaty to protect the ocean and promote the sustainable use of resources such as its oil, fish, and other sea life. Participants in negotiations say this will positively affect struggling fisheries in Africa and the global south. Henry Wilkins reports from Port Sudan, Sudan. Tears of joy at the United Nations in New York on Saturday as delegates agreed on an international treaty to make the exploitation of resources on the high seas sustainable. After what one scientist reportedly called the most important international negotiations that no one has ever heard of. What happened at the UN is likely to have far-reaching impacts across the globe, experts say. Not least for fishers in Africa like Abdullah Hussein Mohammed, who lives on Sudan's coast in Port Sudan. Abdullah also helps run the local fish market. On any given morning, he can be found scaling and filleting fish in the crowded, bustling bazaar. He says fish stocks across Africa have been diminishing for decades now, a fact supported by UN data. He and the entire community are suffering from the fallout. The amount of fish used to be much larger, he says. The sea was full of different species, but in recent years they have decreased. He and his fellow fishers have to travel longer and longer distances in search of fish. The new treaty focuses on the high seas, any part of the ocean at least 200 miles from shore, which is usually inaccessible to Africa's artisanal fishers. Experts say that the prevention of the ecosystem in the high seas means more fish and that some of the species Mohammed says have all but disappeared will also be found closer to land where he works. Nicola Clark is with the Pew Charitable Trusts, an organisation that played a major part in the negotiations. One of the cool things about this high seas treaty is even those these marine protected areas would be established in international waters, coastal waters and coastal nations can expect to see benefits. African fishing communities play a crucial role in the continent's food security and economy. According to the World Bank, fisheries contribute $24 billion to the African economy. Michael Imran Kanu led the African delegation at the negotiations. He says aside from rising fish stock, there are other benefits for Africa, as a big part of the agreement was focused on sharing benefits equally among countries signing the treaty actions taken to address the adverse impact of climate change, um, transfer of uh, technology hopefully will take place in a meaningful way, capacity development to ensure that our scientists are able to also participate. However, the Pew Charitable Trust said the new treaty is not a fix-all for overexploited fisheries. The new agreement will have to work with those examining bodies to ensure their activities do not undermine the conservation effectiveness. Pew Project Director Liz Caron told VOA. For Mohammed's community and those like it throughout Africa, the promised benefits cannot come soon enough. Henry Wilkins for VOA News, Port Sudan, Sudan. You're listening to African News Tonight on The Voice of America. U.S. First Lady Jill Biden recently returned to the White House from a trip to Africa. VOA White House correspondent Anita Powell traveled with her and got an inside look at 
why she decided to go to Namibia and Kenya. As we approach International Women's Day tomorrow, Powell talks with VOA's Carol Van Dam about Jill Biden, the educator and mother, using her global recognition to shine a spotlight on some of the world's biggest problems. Anita, thanks for joining us. Uh, You just got back from a trip with First Lady Jill Biden on her five-day trek through two African nations. And uh, in your piece that you made for VOA earlier, you said that Dr. Biden flexed her popular appeal and experience as a teacher and a mother to spotlight acute hunger in many African countries as well as inequality. Break that down for us. What did she say to bring attention to both problems? Well, as you can imagine, I mean, let me just go back and say this was a whirlwind trip. We had on average three events a day. Uh, we did not rest at all on this trip. There was there was no stopping. And what she said were, were some of the usual things, you know, like that, that women and girls should be empowered. They should have an education. These are these are universal values that we all expect and we all, I think, generally agree on. And the the problem is this does still need to be said in so many parts of the world. And to have a powerful, prominent, educated American woman saying that, that has to count for something, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because it's, it's not the priority necessarily of the Biden administration. They're more, much more national security focused. So this, this is the other side. This is the yin to the yang. And I've never personally understood why we, we view them in those terms because I don't understand, you know, that. Some might say that she took on soft issues and she has no enforcement. She has no Mm -hmm. actual real power. But what is more powerful than being able to care for your family? What is more powerless than looking your kid in the eye and saying, I can't feed you today? Exactly. You know, so so she highlighted that, I thought. Dr. Biden talked about the need to hear from African voices on all kinds of things, especially climate change and economic inequality. Talk a little bit more about that. So first of all, she reiterated a Biden administration policy change, which is that the Biden administration is now pushing for African nations to have more say at the U.N. and also um, at the G7 and G20 fora. And this is actually important because this is something that African nations have been clamoring for for a long time. By just repeating that stance and kind of normalizing it and making it now kind of the accepted stance of the Biden administration, she drew attention to the actual hard power that the Biden administration wants to see African countries have. That's a VOA White House correspondent Anita Powell speaking with my colleague Carol Van Dam. Zambian officials say this year close to 400,000 people have been left homeless by the worst flooding in half a century, which started about four weeks ago. Heavy rain started a month before that and caused rivers to burst their banks, flooding tens of thousands of homes and forcing people to live in makeshift shelters. Columbus Mavunga reports from Lusaka, Zambia. While some people in Lusaka, Zambia have left homes damaged by severe flooding that started about four weeks ago. Others, including Johan Chikwa, have not. She lives in a home with 19 other family members. She says they have no money to look for alternative accommodations. If you look around, you will see that those who have money have moved and managed to relocate. That's why you find us here. 
The toilet isn't functional because of the rains. Our kids don't go to school, except the older ones. We have to put them on our backs to cross. Our husbands can't do peace jobs because where they used to work is filled with water. So we are asking for any form of help. That worries Mainda Simataya and Osaka City Council as even clinics have closed. We, we have some people whose, even, whose food was uh, food and property were you know, washed away and, and uh, they have nothing to live on at the moment. And so for me the pressure is uh, to ensure to say that such families as, are helped out as uh, quickly as, uh, as possible. Musibu Sulwe, president of the Zambia Institute of Planners, says Lusaka was built on rock so drainage is slow causing floods. He suggested that the city improves drainage to turn floods when there's too much rainfall, as in the 2022-2023 season. We also need to look at uh, the strengthening the, the development control function uh, in the local authorities so that we can curb illegal developments on uh, paths for uh, where water is, 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 is passing. Um, currently, the local authorities are challenged financially to be able to, to be fully resourced to be able to do this uh, function. The Zambian government says it is working to provide citizens with alternative accommodation and pump water from the affected areas nationwide. Gabriel Pollen, coordinator of Zambia's Disaster Management and Mitigation Unit, says the floods left eight people dead and at least 373,000 homeless. He added that 1.5 million livestock were affected and animal diseases are starting to spread. In the context of climate change, we understand very, very clearly that this actually um, makes it very difficult to predict the scale and intensity of devastation that might come from adverse weather conditions. So what is primarily happening there is to encourage people to build more resilient infrastructure away from harm's way, away from uh, natural water, water flows, um, and so forth, and encouraging people to build uh, on higher ground as opposed to low-lying areas. With more rain predicted, it might be a long time before people like Chikwa and build a new home on higher ground and see her children return to school. Columbus Mavungam for VOA News, Lusaka, Zambia. Fighters from Somalia's Al-Shabaab Islamist group have recaptured a military base that they had lost to the army in January. A Somali officer told Reuters that the attack on the base in Janya Abdel, about 37 miles west of the port city of Kismayu, occurred early this morning with a car bomb and gunfire. Casualty figures were not immediately available. In a statement, Al-Shabaab, which is affiliated with Al-Qaeda, said its forces controlled the base and have taken all of the weapons that were there. Forces from the Jubaland regional government took control of the military installation in January as part of an offensive which began in the center of the country before going south. And with that, we wrap up this edition of African News Tonight. I'm Iheyes Wuhib in Washington. For all the latest developments on the continent 24-7, 
visit our website at voaafrica.com. On behalf of our producer, Mokbilia Baro, and our engineer, Kila Williams, thanks for choosing the Voice of America. Maxwell, host of Music Time in Africa. Join me every Saturday and Sunday for an hour of awesome African music. music. Like to stay on top of new music trends? Breakout artists? New releases? Maybe you just love the classic styles and artists of the past. Or simply the sound and feel of a good beat. Whatever your pleasure, you can get it every week right here on Music Time in Africa. So join me on 